us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look at your son's promise to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples, we ask that you send the same spirit to work through the words of today's sermon so that we may have complete trust in your word and confidence as we use it. Amen. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. I have told you these things while staying with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not let it be afraid. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Have you ever had a really dark hour in your life in which someone like a really good friend stood beside you, helped you, got you through that dark hour? I have to be honest with you as I think about that question. There is one person who has constantly stood by my side and helped me. That's my bride. The call I had before I served here, it was not uncommon to get calls at midnight, two, three in the morning, and how often she got up and helped me get coffee or whatever. I had a member who was going to heaven or had just gone to heaven and the family needed comfort. Oftentimes, even now, uh, someone will need to talk to me uh, after the worship service, and then I've got to hurry up to our other congregation, and I get home and, and she's got uh, lunch prepared for me, dinner packed for me for the trip home. How wonderful it is when somebody's standing beside you, helping you, and it often gives you comfort when there's scary circumstances in a dark hour. Well, in our text today, Jesus tells the disciples, this is after he's instituted the Lord's Supper and uh, they've finished celebrating the Passover, but it's before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed. He gives them a lot of instructions and prays for them. And, And here he tells them, I've spoken these things to you while I remain beside you. Now, the counselor, that is the Holy Spirit. Now, the word we translate as counselor, transliterated to English from the Greek, is paraclete. That means one called to your side to help. And so here he promises the disciples that one is going to be called to their side and help them. And our sermon theme for today is the Holy Spirit has been called to stand beside you. I've spoken these things to you while I remain beside you. Now the counselor, the one called to your side to help, that is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in connection with my name. That counselor will teach you. You have heard me say in in more than one sermon that we have to pay attention to the prepositions in the original language. And the one here that I translate as in connection with is, is exclusivity. The Holy Spirit comes only in the sphere of Christ's name. And you've heard me say in other sermons, God's names actually tell you God's occupation, what he does for you as the one true God. But today let's focus on just two names, the names for the son that he's the most known by, Jesus, from the Hebrew, Yahshua, which means Savior, Jesus is God who took on human flesh to save you, to do all the work for your salvation, to be holy in your place so that he could make you holy and suffer the punishment for your sins. And Christ, from the Greek word Christos, uh, the Hebrew word which we translate into English is Messiah. Jesus is the only one who was anointed 
to be your savior. That happened at his baptism when God the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. This is a comfort for us because our sinful nature tells us things like you're not good enough and we can cry back at it. You be quiet. I'm not the one God anointed to save me. Jesus is. And we want to remember that because Christians get confused and they say things like, you've got to make a decision for Christ. Well, that puts a lot of salvation into your hands, doesn't it? That's putting salvation out of Christ's hands. You're not the one God anointed to save you. And the Christians get confused and they say, do your best and God will do the rest. There again, we've got to say, no, I'm not the one God anointed to save me. The Holy or Jesus is. And so that Holy Spirit only comes in connection or in the sphere of Christ's name. Now, you can be a very good scientist and you can study everything of creation and, and get to really see the wonders of our creator. But it will never tell you all that work of Jesus Christ, what his names represent, that Jesus is your savior. God has to send someone to you with the word or you have to open up the word to hear those things. And we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit only comes in the sphere of Christ's name, which is revealed in the word. Because, for example, after Martin Luther had accidentally kicked off the Reformation, there were some people who came riding in, shall we say, on his coattails. And they claimed that they had the Holy Spirit and he was bringing them to prophesy. They didn't need the word of God. And so they began to say things that the Holy Spirit, they claimed, was teaching them that contradicted the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, it is not the Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God. Luther called them the enthusiasts because, as he said, it seemed like they had swallowed the Holy Spirit feathers and all memory came down the form of a dove on Christ. They were just using their emotions or it was their sinful nature. And so the Holy Spirit comes with the word, period. This is how God sends him. Now, the interesting thing is, he says, he'll teach you. The Holy Spirit comes when the word is taught to create faith and give us faith in that word so that then we understand the word. I've heard of unbelievers coming to the word to read it in, in sarcasm and coming away, go, becoming believers because the Holy Spirit is work. But I'm going to tell you. An unbeliever cannot truly understand the word of God. As the Apostle Paul says to 1 Corinthians, it's foolish, it's a stumbling block to the Gentiles, or a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. See, without the Holy Spirit, you cannot accept the things. For example, the true God who is infinite becomes true man who is finite. It takes the faith the Holy Spirit gives. Now, the Holy Spirit creates faith using the word, either like with adults where somebody comes and shares the word of God with them and he comes and creates faith. Or, for example, in my case, or in many Christians' cases, the word combined with the water, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit entered my heart when I was an infant and then through Sunday school and my parents applying the word of God and stuff, he taught me and continues to strengthen that faith. So the Holy Spirit has been called to stand beside you to teach you God's word. 
And the disciples would need that. As an example, when Jesus rises, the very day he rises, he appears to those two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Don't want to confuse them with the 11 apostles, but he appears to them and he actually connects the dots using the, all the Old Testament prophecies that the Savior would come, take on human flesh, live and die in our place. Now, when Jesus was at their side, he was teaching them, but now... On Pentecost Sunday, the celebration of the birth, shall we say, of the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit comes to those disciples as he comes to you and I, and he teaches them the word, just as Jesus did with those Emmaus disciples, and they're able to connect those dots. But he doesn't just come to that word and teach us. He also says, that counselor will teach all things to you and remind you of everything which I myself spoke to you. He's going to remind the disciples. And that's important. Because a month prior, he had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again when I do meet me in Galilee, boys. And the disciples forget that. They forget that Jesus had risen. They forget when the ladies come and say, hey, the tomb's empty, and the angel said, he, you got to get ready to meet him back at Galilee. Guess what? They have to go check out the tomb. They need to be reminded. And it's a comfort for you and I that the Holy Spirit came and reminded them of the things Jesus taught them. Because, for example, 150 years ago, the ridiculous theory came along. And it went something like this, that around 350 A.D., a guy claiming to be Mark came along and he wrote Mark's gospel. And then afterwards, uh, some guy claiming to be the disciple Matthew, who wasn't, wrote Matthew's gospel. And some guy claiming to be Luke wrote Luke's gospel based on, Ma on Mark's gospel that they claim was written many, many years. I mean, a long time, a couple hundred years later. This is all fabrication and lie. It seems like every year they find more old manuscripts of these gospels. And so, for example, although it's only about the size of a silver dollar, they figured out one of them that they have, uh, it's deteriorated a lot, but they have the gospel of John dating within 50 years of when John wrote the gospel. They keep finding older and older manuscripts that disprove these kinds of theories. But the disciples had certainly forgotten. And so we're so glad that the Holy Spirit came and reminded them. Oh, then they could connect the dots. And then they would write these down. And the Holy Spirit inspired them to write them down. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just teach you the word of God. He reminds you of the word of God. There have been times where I have witnessed to people in a Bible passage that I, I haven't read in a long time pops into mind. The Holy Spirit is reminding us. The Holy Spirit reminds us when we come and hear the sermon and he reminds us when we come and we study the Bible and he reminds us as he nourishes our faith with the Lord's Supper. I want to say as a side note, Pastoral counseling, and do not confuse that for psychology. Pastoral counseling is applying the word of God to people as they are bearing crosses, for example. But I've never had a pastoral counseling last more than a couple of times when somebody's struggling with a heavy cross who is regularly in worship on Sunday and in Bible study. I always end up for the everyone else. You always have to start with the Bible basics, teaching them the word of God. And then you got to go back and remind them and apply it to them when it becomes just more than a couple of meetings. The Holy Spirit works to remind you the word of God. And you need that because we have a sinful nature that wants to forget, wants to forget. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for my sins and they're forgiven, wants to forget. 
That now with the new person, I'm empowered to struggle against that sinful nature and wants to nourish and wants to forget to nourish that person. And how comforting it is just to spend a couple of minutes every day reading something like our meditation, some form of devotion. But especially on Sundays when we gather together to be reminded where the service crescendos to the word of God, where it's taught and we're reminded of the forgiveness of sins. And then it decrescendos from that. But we begin our worship service with the confession of sin and being told, yes, your sins are forgiven. So the Holy Spirit's been called to stand beside you, to teach you God's word and to remind you of God's word. The next thing Jesus says about that Holy Spirit comes because he teaches you and reminds you of God's word. He tells the the disciples in verse 27, I'm leaving peace for you. I give you my own peace to you, not in the way the world gives. Am I on my part giving to you? Do not let your hearts be in turmoil, nor be afraid. How does the world give peace? Well, how does the world give in general? You'll often find people give you gifts because they're obligated to or they want something out of you. So they give you something, hoping to get something else in return. And what's the world's peace look like? I grew up during the Cold War. Do you know why America never sent a nuclear weapon at Russia or Russia never did to America? Mutually assured destruction. As soon as one of us sent a nuclear missile, the other one was going to send all their armory in retaliation. And then the one who sent the one was going to send all the rest. Wow, what a peace. I'm afraid that you're going to destroy me. And if I try to destroy you, uh, 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 you're going to destroy me and I'm going to turn around and destroy you and it's not going to work out. That's how the world gives peace. Or Politicians make peace agreements and they cross their fingers behind their back, proverbially, if you will, because the world's peace is very vicarious. It's a very careful balance. and, And as soon as one person lies, it's over. But Jesus's peace is not like that. Jesus's peace comes to you through his word and and through the reminder, I have made you God's child. I have forgiven you. When crosses come upon us, we can be confident God doesn't hate me. God may be using this to discipline me so that I don't continue to embrace this sin. But this is God's love. When bad things happen to us, they're really not that bad because we're reminded of God's peace. No, God is actually using this for my good and the good of others. We have a peace knowing our sins are forgiven. And as, for example, these disciples, the apostles, only one of them is going to die of natural causes. We have a peace in a world that hates God's word, hates something about the forgiveness of sins. You can take my physical life. But you can't take my spiritual life. I will be before the throne of God and he's going to give me a glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sin to have to worry about my life. The walls seem to close in on us and at times we worry, how am I going to put a roof over my head? How am I going to continue to feed the family? And when when that starts screaming, I always have to tell myself, Fred, the tomb is empty. God is not dead. And then the peace comes. Whatever's going on, God is using this for my good. And so we see here the Holy Spirit has been called to stand beside you, to teach you God's word, to remind you of God's word and through that then to give you God's peace. Amen. And now God by his counsel's guide uphold you and with his sheep securely fold you. Amen.